0: Ronaldo! Oh my goodness! You don't save those
1: out of this world. Messi, Messi, Messi! Three nothing. Landon Donovan. There are things
0: on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross and Dempsey's denied again. And Donovan. Can you believe this? Go, go, USA! Certainly through! Oh, it's incredible!
1: You could not write a script like this! For the fourth time, the United States of America are crowned champions of the world.
2: From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports.
1: And then there were eight. Champions League round of 16 wraps up yesterday. City dropped points on Monday. Liverpool closed the gap yesterday to one in the Premier League title race. MLS going on. We're a week away from U.S. Final qualification window for the Qatar World Cup. Before we break it all down, Keenan Troy, James Burley, Nick Guzman here on this St. Patrick's Day. James, we'll start with you in the most festive get-up of all of us. Nick was telling me before you jumped on that he just rolled out of bed, so maybe he hasn't had time to throw on his Kelly Green. How are you, my man? I'm doing
2: really well. I mean, that intro you just gave gave me chills. I think it would give any soccer fan chills. Um, the Prem is heating up. We got the race going, city dropping points. It's getting, it's getting really exciting there. Champions League, we're into the quarters. Uh, World Cup qualifying next week. We're going to have the World Cup draw by the end of the month. That's crazy. Um, And, yeah, like you said, everyone's favorite league, major league soccer. The ball's been rolling. So I'm really excited to talk some soccer today. Um, It's a great time for international soccer across the globe. Um, Yeah, this is
0: going to be a great episode. Yeah, there's so much going on. You got World Cup qualifying roster dropping tonight for the U.S. men's national team. I mean, even if you think about just yesterday, you had the Premier League great game Liverpool Arsenal going on at the same time as two great Champions League games. You have to choose which one you wanted to watch. Things are getting things are heating up in the soccer world. March is a great month, not just for basketball, but for soccer, too. Looking forward to talking about it.
1: Yeah, you know, I think you boys hit the nail right on the head. All three of us got the chance to cover some NYCFC and some New York Red Bulls last weekend. I'm going back to Yankee Stadium on Saturday through WFUV Sports. And, you know, being that close to soccer, kind of like – I know that, you know, a couple episodes back I made the joke that the MLS is the best league in all of, you know, soccer. Which I don't
0: know if that's a – not a joke, though.
1: Yeah, well – No, it's facts. fact. <laughs> well, made made the take that Michael Hernandez took to be a good, But that being said, I think, you know, at least being – at the game, especially when NYCFC lifted their banner, which was, I mean, if you saw the banner, (laughs) it was more like a piece of construction paper. But it shows that the sport is growing in the U.S. But while it's growing here, it is certainly at its absolute peak in the later stages of, you know, domestic seasons and the Champions League season. We're down to eight after a thrilling second match Week of second legs. You know, Benfica shocks Ajax in Amsterdam. Atletico knocks out a Ronaldo-led United at Old Trafford. Chelsea shut the door firmly on Leal, And Villarreal stunned Juventus. Unai Emery showing that he's maybe one of the most underrated managers in all of European soccer. You know, we think back to his short spell at Arsenal and, you know, maybe criminally overrated coming from PSG and really didn't meet his mark. But with this Villarreal team knocking out a team of Juve 3-0 yesterday to advance, granted, you know, two of those goals are scored in the 85th plus. So kind of when the game's wide open, but even still, Juve knocked out, Chelsea threw, United knocked out, Ajax knocked out. Boys, we can start really anywhere. I think... You know, the most shocking results, probably that Villarreal three Juventus nil. But, you know, James Burley, a United supporter, will start probably no trophy this season for, for the Red Devils.
2: It, and it's, it, it's not only just so frustrating because of what the club used to be and where they are now, and everyone knows all about that, but that performance that they put up against Atletico Madrid was probably in that first half was their best half of the season. They, I was watching it, and I was like, this is a brand-new team. I felt like it was 2013, 2012, that era of United all over again under Sir Alex Ferguson. I felt like I was watching a team that knew that they played for a big club and a group of individuals who were all committed towards a cause. The second half is a bit of a different story, but I thought that they had deserved a, something a bit more out of this two-leg tie, especially having battled back in the first leg and gotten in a way goal They looked really, really good in this one. Um, Atletico Madrid scored what ended up being a nice goal um, from a player who I thought was getting absolutely destroyed in that left-back position, Renan Lodi. But nonetheless, Atletico Madrid deservedly go through. Um, They're a good team as well. I thought United had enough to have gotten it, but they didn't really have that killer instinct in front of goal. Um, Ronaldo was kind of silent in this one, and I think that was – Atletico Madrid's uh, intention is to have Ronaldo get as few touches on the ball as possible. Um, but nonetheless, this is a stepping point for United in terms of how they want to play, but it, they're not going to get any trophies. And as weird as it is, the Champions League was probably their best chance at getting a trophy this year. Um, yeah, so that's done. And I guess good luck to Atletico moving forward.
0: I don't know. I'm a little, I'm a little bitter about that. Yeah, Atletico finally learned their lesson about Ronaldo after a decade of you know, tormenting with Real Madrid about how to contain him. You know, sure, he's 37 now, but they finally learned. You know, we've seen Atletico play this kind of game so many times over the years where they're just... I think the best word is just annoying. They're just annoying to play against. But I think their performance wasn't really anything that special. I think... They've played, you know, games like that in the past. I think like Barcelona in 2016, games like that where they've, in the knockout stages, they've played a lot better than this. I think this game was there for the taking for United, which is why it's going to be really annoying for them that they're out of this competition. Because it's not like Atletico Madrid, you know, played them off the park and they had absolutely no chances going forward and Atletico parked the bus perfectly. You know, United created chances. Varane had that header in the second half. And really, Atletico, their best chance going forward was that header at the back post where, you know, Diego Dallo just kind of loses Lodi at the back post. And he gets the header and it's 1-0. And then just like that, you're chasing the game and it's hard to break down a team like Atletico Madrid. So for United, you know, we've talked about all year, you know, how disappointing it's been even under Ranić, how they haven't really, you know, progressed at all. But it really comes down to the personnel I think there's a lot of there's a lot of dead weight there right now, and I think it's becoming more and more clear as time goes on. And, you know, I don't really like to single out players, but, you know, Marcus Rashford has really been disappointing this year for me, especially because it looks like he's been taking some steps in the previous years to becoming a really, you know, world-class player that we thought he could be when he first came, you know, through the ranks in 2016. But he's been very disappointing. And, you know, for this United team, you kind of look at, the structure of, you know, who they have. And you, you see how many players do you think, like, really can, are the players that you can build around for the future? And to me, it's very few because, you know, Ronaldo's aging. You probably build around Bruno and Sancho. But, you know, Fred and McTominay in midfield, probably not good enough. And you really – these are going to be tough conversations that you have to have for Manchester United, especially when you see, you know, your, your arch-rivals Liverpool flying right now. Your crosstown rivals in Man City also flying, challenging for titles, and you just seem so far away from that target. But for Atletico Madrid, they're through the next round, even though they probably wasn't their best performance ever. But the Champions League, it's about grinding out results, and they're through the quarterfinals, which is all that matters.
1: Yeah, it's a Diego Simeone performance, if I've ever seen one. You know, score a girl, s- girl. Ha! score a goal, and then just sit behind the ball for however long you got left in the 90 and move on. You know, it's something he's done time and time again with that Atletico side. And at the next point, you know, I think it was as good as they looked in that game United did. It really was, I think it was just emphatic of the fact that their midfield players aren't good enough. And, you know, they're not good enough to create when you've got numbers behind, when the opposition has numbers behind the ball. Maybe they're good enough, you know, a guy like Fernandez is really good in space and transition and picking out a quick ball on the counter. But ball at his feet, I don't think they have the players they need out wide, whether it be wingers, whether it be fullbacks. And then, you know, in their midfielding trio, I don't think anyone besides Fernandez can really pick that crucial pass. And, you know, he gets subbed off Pogba like for like, and, you know, that doesn't help bolster the midfield effort. So, I don't know. I think a lot of questions for Man United. But, yeah, to James's point, I think that first half was probably the best half of football you've seen out of United in a long time. And, you know, yes, you can build on that. But the question is, you know, how do you build on that with such an aging roster and a roster that has so many anomalies, such as Ronaldo, probably the big one. But then also you look at a guy like Rashford, You know, you look at Alenga, you know, you look how long will De Gea be in business? How long can you run, you know, McTominay out there before you realize that he's got no future in this club? I don't know. All I'm saying is it was probably what we expected out of United. You know, obviously, probably the best chance to win, sadly, was the Champions League. And when they drew Atletico in that first leg, you thought maybe they could get lucky at home. Maybe a Ronaldo performance could come out. But sadly, he wasted that this past weekend with his hat trick. And, you know, he was shut down against Athletic, and they move on 1-0. On Tuesday, second match, 1-0. Benfica took down Ajax. I'll be honest, boys, I didn't tune into this one. I was – eyes were glued to that Manchester United game. I caught the recap, you know, via YouTube. And it looked like a pretty standard, you know, Benfica just, you know, squeaking by Ajax and kind of doing the same as Athlete did to to United in the sense of getting a goal and just kind of saying we can 1-0, will get us through to the round of eight. We're very happy to get to the round of eight.
2: Yeah, I mean – And that's what the Champions League is all about, especially when you're a team like Benfica, you know, albeit at the top of the Portuguese table uh, every year, but never a Champions League favorite. Um, And I guess the same goes for Ajax, uh, considering that the the Dutch league, albeit still full of talented players and a few good teams, they're always uh, just on the outside looking in in terms of Champions League winners. But I thought Benfica, this didn't seem like a crazy, crazy upset having looked at not only the match recaps from the first and second legs, because let's face it, there were always better games when these two teams were playing. And I don't think a lot of people tuned in to this one as opposed to watching Manchester United or Juventus or whomever was playing. But Benfica stuck with this IX team, which we had thought were going to be wiping the floor with them with how they, well they performed in the group stage. But they stuck with them for 180 minutes over both legs. The first leg, 2-2 was probably the best game. I remember talking about that one not too long ago. And this this leg was arguably even better, an absolute chess match, but not a chess match that didn't include a bunch of shots coming from either end. This was a, like an absolute cracker of a game. Um, possession was 70% to Ajax. Benfica took 30% of possession and said thank you. Uh, I love watching these teams that can uh, – you know, suffer, but can suffer positively and can go forward and take use of their chances. Um, Verissimo has done a great job coaching this uh, Benfica team. This Benfica team, like, I remember we talked about their back line, uh, Vertonghen and Otamendi holding that central defense, Julian Weigl in front of them being crucial. These are players who have had Champions League experience before with Manchester City, Spurs, and Dortmund, respectively. But they haven't quite put it together, teams before and the fact that they're doing it now with Benfica (laughs) having all been at least 30 or over or in Weigel's case late 20s I believe it's kind of exciting Benfica is the team that I want to see succeed moving forward just because of how they've gotten to this stage uh, like just against all odds I'm I I don't know what this team is going to look like next leg against whoever they draw against whenever that's decided has that been decided when is the draw am I am I, I missed the loop on that
0: it didn't happen yet. I don't know what it, it is. It didn't happen. Okay. It might be okay. Friday. It might it's be fun. Friday.
2: Okay, well, Well, whenever that is, I'm excited. I just hope Benfica doesn't get like City because I want to see them go as far as possible because I love the way that they're playing. And I do think Ajax were a bit overhyped. That's that's a different story, though, because I, I I want to look at the positive sides of this because we looked at the negative sides of United. Uh, Nick, where do you think uh, – what do you think about this, this tie?
0: I think when you look at this whole match week – there really was a common thread between, you know, Villarreal, Benfica, Atletico Madrid, not so much Chelsea who came out on top, but those teams in this second leg really sat back and waited for their opportunity. And they scored just the one goal, Benfica and Atletico Madrid, Villarreal got a couple I got two penalties late, but you know, it was teams sitting back being patient and it's not about possession. And they really just were able to grind out their results and I'm with you, James. Just there's some there's some nostalgic names in this Benfica team. Not even Vertonghen or but you guys remember Adele Tarrat? He was an absolute baller for QPR back in the day. And I, <laughs> I, I, ter- I I was watching the highlights, and he was playing in the midfield. I was like, wow, he's still around, and that made me smile because I like 2010, 2011, I think was the year that he just absolutely balled out for QPR in the championship. But you know, this Benfica team. You know, Otamendi's not the most likable player in the world, going back to his city days. But you know, he's a player that you need to when you just need to grind out a result like they like they needed in that game. And I'm with you, James. I don't. You know, I could totally see them drawing a team like City and just getting clobbered. But you know, there's a lot of teams in this in this next round that it's going to be very interesting. You got Real, you got Benfica, you've got Real Madrid, Chelsea, teams like teams like that. You could see, you know, maybe a team like. Benfica drawing Villarreal, Villarreal, sorry. And then it's very interesting to see one of those teams get to the semifinals. But I think looking back, it was probably a little foolish for us to be so certain of Ajax, you know, just considering, you know, Benfica's resume. And we think we probably overlooked them a little bit because they're not doing the best in the Portuguese league this year. But, um, and because Ajax are, again, running away with the Dutch league. But I think... You could probably call it a bit of an upset, but I think Benfica played that game exactly the way they needed to. They needed to sit back, soak up the pressure, exactly what they did, and they've got a quarterfinal berth because of it.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't give I uh, Benfica any credit coming into this match. I thought, you know, had a weak group in terms of, you know, what they drew in order to get into the get into the round of 16, especially with, you know, Dortmund playing exceptionally poor and you know I thought that they were going to be out really quick and I saw this Ajax game and we think about Ajax how good they were you know they killed Dortmund at home and at a way I thought that this team you know with Aller and you know Anthony Tadic you know this team is as it always has been is littered with young studs and then you know a daily blend in the back line and Odonna's, you know a really strong goalkeeper for Ajax I thought Ajax was going to have their way and you know we were thinking back to when Ajax took down Madrid and kind of looked to make a run at the table a few years ago that being said I think that Benfica showed everyone that you can win ugly in the Champions League and that you know I think it goes to show us you know we mentioned like the old heads that they have on this team and like names from the past it's you know, if you play defensive soccer, if you have guys that are seasoned veterans that know how to play defensive soccer, you're going to be okay. So, that for me begs a question is, you know, Benfica, I think if they avoid Liverpool, City, and Munich, if they avoid those three, I think that Benfica has a reasonable shot of, you know, at least being in their – Round of eight match, and you know, maybe having a chance in a second leg of that quarterfinal game because what we saw against this Ajax team you know, the 2 2 draw in the first leg, and then you know, they really do a good job of parking the bus for all of the 90 minutes, scoring a sole, a lone goal from Nunez, and then you know, shutting the door completely on Ajax, not being concerned about possession statistics or whatever. I think Benfica could hang around with a team like you mentioned of, you know, Villarreal, certainly a team like maybe like Chelsea, maybe a team like. Um, Why am I blanking on who else is in the quarterfinals right now? This is really bad. Like Real Madrid. Um, I was going to say Real. Yeah, I think they would be fine with one of those teams. That did it for our Tuesday action. Yesterday, you had the choice of either watching the Liverpool match, which we'll get to in a second, or watching Chelsea take down Leal 2-1, or Juventus getting bounced from the tournament. I want to ask, is Juventus really an upset? Because, yes, Juventus has like you know all the glory in the world, but this isn't a Juventus team that we're thinking Juve of 3-4, even like 10 years ago, back when Pirlo was in his prime there. Even though that'd be more like 2015, so maybe not 10 years, but even still, you know this is a team that's very much in a retooling phase, in terms of you know you look you know if Alvaro Morata is your starting striker, that's always red flag number one that this team is not destined to win because Alvaro Alvaro Morata is, we remember when he was at Chelsea and he couldn't buy a goal. We saw him against Villarreal have some good opportunities, for us, some good saves out of Ruli not to take anything away from the goalkeeper for Villarreal, but Murado's was probably, you know, kicking himself going into the dressing room at halftime, not bearing at least one in the first half. But With the exception of that, you know, I just wasn't convinced with this Juventus side coming in. Yes, Chelsea gave up the ghost and, you know, gifted them the group essentially in their group stage, but a three nil loss, three goals coming in the second half, albeit two of those are penalties, you know, I think the one, you know, it really should be 2-0, that one late. Yeah, it's a pen, but at that point, that's just Juventus throwing, Juventus throwing everything to try and, you know, stay somewhat relevant in that match. Boys, I don't care who takes it. What are, I guess the better question is, before we look at, you know, this Villarreal side that's exceeding expectations, what is wrong with Juventus that, you know, for being such a dominant club in Italy – for all these years, they just can't put it together anytime it comes to the Champions League.
2: Well, I think for this year, the biggest issue is pretty obvious. It's that Weston McKinney is injured. And I mean, the McKinney effect, I made a joke. I made a joke about this when I was on the pod a couple weeks ago about the Weston McKinney effect, but it's true. Like it's only like 60% a joke because their record with him on the field is so much better than their record with him, not on the field, but, to Juventus as a whole, I, it, it is, they're, they're kind of like the PSG of the Italian League. Not that they win Serie A every year because Serie A has more competitors than League 1 does, but because they have all the pieces to be one of the super clubs of the world, and the Champions League always eludes them. Kind of like Man City, but of course, they're not quite as good as Man City. They're, they're not very thin in any position on the field. Um, even in midfield without McKinney, Rabiot, Artur, Locatelli is a solid midfield that should match up pretty fairly against Danny Parejo and Lo Celso for Villarreal. For me, Juventus are a team, this year at least, that has lacked you know, a cohesive vision, has lacked um, a togetherness that we have seen from teams like Villarreal that got them the glory last year in Europa League, that has proven to be um, pretty good this year as well, beating a team like Juventus. I mean, uh, Unai Emery, you mentioned him before. Um, got a lot of shtick for how poorly he had done at Arsenal. I know an Arsenal fan who calls him a terrorist of football to this day. Um, he's very funny like that, but that's besides the point. Allegri has done great a great job getting this team back into play in Serie A. They've clawed their way back to fourth place. They're uh, well within Champions League. Uh, confines there. But as, as far as it goes in the Champions League, they, they have not looked like a team that has been a group committed to a cause, but instead look like a group of a bunch of individuals. And for that reason, I, I don't think that they were ever going to go past the round of 16, regardless of who they drew against. And even though they got a, very, a fairly friendly draw in Villarreal,
0: they never put it together for any more than a stretch of 15 minutes across both legs. Yeah, I had higher hopes for this UVA team, mainly because of how well they've played in the last two months in Syria, and you know they signed Dusan Vlahovic and they've looked a lot better going forward. Because that was a problem, you know, throughout the fall and the early part of the season is they couldn't really score any goals. They looked strong in the midfield, but goal scoring was a problem when you just had Murata up front. But with Vlahovic, they've looked better, and they haven't lost in a while in Syria. And like you mentioned, James. Some solid names in midfield, and I think the back line is an issue that is going to have to address. You know, he's got to lick back there, and Chiellini's old, we know. Benucci's getting up there, too, and he's injured. But And then Denilo and Rugani, who gave away the first penalty, and was immediately subbed off. I think it's definitely a team in transition. I think Allegri has them moving in the right direction, but it's definitely a disappointing result because this was a game that was there for the taking. When you see how many chances they got in the first half, early in the second half, they hit the crossbar. They really, Real really didn't do much. You know, they had three shots on goal and three goals with two penalties. They seized their chances. That's all you can do. But for Juve, it's, you know, you've seen this team in so many different iterations. I like the PSG comparison, James, because you've seen them in, you know, in 2014-15, with Carlos Tevez up front, Vidal in the midfield, Pirlo still in the midfield, losing the final. You've seen 2016-17 lose to Real Madrid in the final with, you know, Mandzukic up front. Higuain, a bit of a different look. Dybala. And then you've seen, you know, the modern version of this team, which doesn't look anything like those teams, and they still can't get it done in the Champions League. What's the explanation for that? I think this one's much more of an enigma because they've, they've had Champions League campaigns where they've dominated. You know, we can say PSG's made the final, but that was a pandemic year. It was weird. It was single legs. Juve have had team, teams where they've dominated the Champions League, and they just have not been able to get over that hump in, the, uh, in that final match. But I think the club, they're not going to win Serie A this year. You know, Champions League place looks like it probably is secure. They sit in fourth place, solid seven points above fifth place Lazio. You know, Second place is now the question. They're only, you know, now they've come to save, only seven points behind Milan, but I don't see them catching them. Despite, you know, the great form they've been in. In terms of Villarreal, again, it was, you know, a performance that teams like Villarreal, teams like Benfica, even like Atletico Madrid to an extent, they have to do to get through to the next round. And it's just putting everything into defending and and you know, taking your chances the other way. And they won the Europa League last year, but it's been a disappointing La Liga campaign for Villarreal so far. But, you know, through the quarterfinals of the Champions League, that's a successful season for a team like Villarreal after winning the Europa League last year. They've got good players in there. Pau Torres, you know, starts for Spain. Gerard Moreno's a great player. And I don't think I'd want to play this Villarreal team seeing how they set up against Juve and how stout they were defensively and how clinical they were offensively. I think they could give a big team trouble. A team like Chelsea, I, th- I think, could really see a lot of difficulty playing a team like Villarreal. And I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, what they do in the quarterfinal round.
1: Well, to keep this thing moving, Nick, and you uh, mentioned them, let's go to Chelsea. Got through yesterday, beating Lille on the road. You know, a bit of a scare in the end of that first half as Yilmaz nets a penalty on maybe a questionable handball on Jorginho, like I don't know if you can really call that just based on the control off the chest. Like, where's that ball going? Certainly not goalward. Whatever, it's called a penalty. Yilmaz scores. And Kristen Poulos, a good signs for us U.S. men's national team fans. for, He always leaves his shooting boots at Chelsea for some reason. He scores and equalizes 1 1 on the tie, 3 1 overall in the 45th, plus three. And you know, that's all Chelsea needed. They see this one out. Espera gets one in the seventy-first. They advance four to one on aggregate, knocking Leal out after maybe not a surprising season from Leal, but a young Leal side that, you know, we want to talk about the wanna talk about the Weston McKinney effect. What about the Tim Wea effect? How dare you leave him on the bench? Absolute criminal you had him and you had Ben Arfa on the bench. I don't know. This, this Leal team's very, very underratedly loaded in terms of young talent. You look at a guy like, you know, Jonathan David, obviously you have Yilmaz who's old, but you know, Bamba young. Jekka in the midfield is a pretty young cat as well. So I think that this Leal team has a ton of potential, but We'll just stick with Chelsea because they've got their name in the news for a multitude of reasons. Obviously the financial troubles, but they are through to the quarterfinals. So before we spend a little time breaking down their finances as we move to the Premier League, boys, what did we like out of Chelsea today? I think this was a very typical Tuchel performance. You know, Lille came out, guns firing. Chelsea, for the most part, weathered that storm. They get an unfortunate penalty call. And then just when Lille thinks, you know, Let's see this out to halftime. Go into the break 1-0 up, and then we can come out into the second half. New game plan, ready to attack. Pulisic gets one right before the halftime whistle. Pretty class finish from the Americans. You know, not with any bias, obviously, but a well-finished strike by him. And then Azpilicueta shuts the door for Chelsea in the 71st. Boys, really quick, what do we like from Chelsea before we spend more time talking about the Blues and how they might be headed to financial ruin.
2: I, I'm glad you mentioned that it was typical Tuchel ball because when I looked at the lineup initially, I, was, I wasn't surprised with the players he selected, but I noticed there's no sh- single striker out on the pitch. And initially, like, I've always been wary of that, but I like the way it works for Chelsea specifically because of the way that they have guys like Pulisic and Havertz interchange. And because of the way that they can combine with that midfield three that is just so fluid in Kovacic, Jorginho, and Kante, where you don't have um, a specific set of these guys are going to stay deep and these guys are going to push the game forward. But because all three of those players can do everything so well that they combine in a way that, you know, is really positive for Chelsea. And I'm not, I'm not saying that I saw um, some incredible playing in this game against Lille but what I'm saying is this was a system that was set to succeed and they did what they had to do. Pulisic, I'm going to be biased, Keenan. That was the greatest goal I've ever seen um, because it was Christian Pulisic. And because we have a huge game against Mexico coming up and he's going to be ready for it. Um, and, you know, this was good preparation for that. And I'm sure that's all he was thinking about in the champions league, whatever prep for Mexico, but all jokes aside, Chelsea did what they had to do to claw their way into the next round. Um, they performed well enough and, yeah, their system is – finally, I can say that for Chelsea that their system is built around their strengths as opposed to players being forced into a system that doesn't really fit. Nick, I know you're a Chelsea fan. You can speak
0: on this a bit better than I could. That last point was perfect, James. When they, when Chelsea try and shove Lukaku up front and, you know, either Havertz or Mount on the wings or Pulisic or Ziyech or Werner or whoever, Hudson-Odoi – just does the system doesn't work as well when Havertz is up front and it's much more fluid and it's free-flowing that's when Chelsea are playing the way they should this was a bit of a different formation this time out with the 3-5-2 with the three midfielders of Kovac's Jorginho and Conte. and you know when I saw the lineup I was just thinking Chelsea better not concede early because then they're gonna be hanging on but they did concede early on that penalty I think it was a penalty probably on Jorginho with his hand up in the air but it's questionable and that Pulisic goal was huge. If Chelsea go into the, the break, you know, down a goal, only up by one on aggregate, you know, Lille can regroup at halftime and they could come out firing. But that Pulisic goal was so big. Really sealed the tie for them, in my opinion. And then you get that Aspilicueta goal at the back post where, you know, I love Tim Weah, but probably a little slack marking him on the back post, a little slow there. But that's okay. We don't have to mention that. Pulisic's goal, excellent and Chelsea through the next round. It's really incredible how, with all the turmoil that's going on at the club, which we'll get into in a bit, how Tuchel just keeps them winning games. They're grinding out results, and it's really impressive. You know, they beat Burnley 4-0, Norwich City 3-1, Newcastle, they grinded out that 1-0 with the late Havertz goal, and now they beat Lille 2-1. They keep grinding out results, and, you know, when it's... There's a question about if you can even fly your next game, if you can have fans do your next games. You know all these questions, and for Chelsea to still, you know, be running out there and winning games is very, very impressive. And I think they found the right, you know, on-field combination of players to play. I think Havertz has to play until he, you know, starts to drop in form. I think Christian Pulisic is playing his way into a, st- a starting role for big games, and I think. You know, it'll probably be Mount Pulisic, Havertz right now is probably the three that I think and Tuchel thinks are the three that should start as attacking players in a normal game. And then any two of Jorginho, Kante, Kovacic in the midfield. But so Chelsea, you've got the the on-the-field recipe right now. It's just the the off-the-field stuff that, you know, needs to be sorted out, which we'll get into.
1: Yeah, and let's get into it, boys. You know, Abramovich is getting sanctioned by the U.K. now. Last podcast, you know, Nick, you and I kind of touched on it with Michael Hernandez, just, you know, nuts and bolts of what's going on. But now it's getting to a little bit more of a dire situation if you're Chelsea and you're happy to go through. But the question is, is, you know, you're hoping you draw City or Liverpool. That's a train right away. Because if you draw, you know, a team like Villarreal going to Spain, you know, you how are you getting to Spain, you know? taking everybody hopping in a cab and just, you know, road tripping together. I don't know. Abramovich is being sanctioned by the UK. I personally think it's a bit hypocritical. You know, we saw the news this week that, you know, there were, what, 31 beheadings in Saudi Arabia, and there's no pushback on any Saudi groups. That certainly, you know, definitely, I don't want to make the assumption that they're involved, but, you know, depending on who – you know who they're friends with and you know who's supporting that kind of behavior in Saudi Arabia. So, yes, it's condemnable to go after Abramovich for his ties to Putin, but I think, you know, treating like him like he's a catalyst of everything that's happening in Ukraine is a bit ludicrous when you're turning a blind eye, certainly as FIFA as a whole, to everything that's happening in, leading up to Qatar's World Cup and also everything that's happening in Saudi Arabia recently – I think that's super ludicrous. That's my own personal piece. That being said, Chelsea right now is in a position where they need to be bought. You know, you look at the Ricketts family who own the Chicago Cubs. My dad's a diehard Cubs fan. He's not happy about that because he doesn't even, you know, Ricketts does a terrible job managing the Cubs payroll. He thinks he should be prioritize the Cubs winning another world series before he goes and buys Chelsea. But Chelsea is probably as, as lucrative as, as it's ever been, you know, Credit to Roman Abramovich for doing that really pulled them out from the gutter. So right now it looks like Ricketts and some, you know, billionaire conglomerate are going to try and buy it. Maybe from a Chelsea perspective, you can give it to me. I'm a Liverpool fan. You know, that's owned by an American group. Another London club Arsenal is owned by Kroenke who's an American. And, you know, there's been some mixed emotions with his involvement um, over the past couple years as Arsenal has regressed, but that being said, where does Chelsea go? Because, you know, you look at what the sanctions mean on Chelsea and also what they mean, you know, financially for the club, more importantly, you know, no more selling of merchandise. Games, you know, you can't buy tickets to games that they weren't already sold for. So, you know, I think that means, I'm not 100% sure, but, you know, if you bought your tickets in advance for, say, a Champions League match, you know, if you bought your quarterfinals once, kind of like if, put it in American terms you know if you bought the postseason package for you know your MLB team you'd still be able to go but you're not going to be able to buy tickets now and if there were some available I don't know it's a complete mess I think you know the UK and you know the football the e, the EPA, EFA is just trying to like make some giant stance on Ukraine in my opinion that doesn't need to be made in the sense of like, oh, we're doing everything we can to empower it when really, who are they hurting? And and that's what it comes down to for me. It's like, how many Chelsea workers are going to be out of a job and what's the effect of, you know, we've seen, if you saw the documentary on Southampton, the rise and fall, you know, you see what failing to get promotion or getting, you know, dropping promotion does to a team in terms of, you know, money, in terms of the jobs that they can support around the club. Obviously, Chelsea is a massive club now, but, you know, for the time being, if they fail to bring in revenue at the extent that they were, people are going to get hurt. And they're not the people you're expecting to get hurt because Abramovich has, you know, piles of cash to lay back on. But the guys who, you know, need a job at Chelsea and that rely on, you know, the work in the Chelsea team store, for example, if they can't go to work and they can't get a paycheck. It's going to hurt them more than it's ever going to hurt Abramovich. That's my piece on it. Nick, I'm going straight to you because you're the Chelsea man. You know, a ton of stuff happening. I think the club's in a fine situation moving forward. I think they're going to get bought because, you know, obviously a big six in Europe and, you know, just won the Champions League, just won the, you know, Super League or whatever. So I I, I think it's just going to be a big question mark as to where they're going in the immediate future. I think long-term they're going to be fine. But what are your thoughts on the state of Chelsea right now?
0: Here's what I think in terms of – I'll start with the Abramovich stuff and, you know, how the UK government's going about this. I think it's a very, like, public and in-your-face way to show, like, hey, we're taking this Ukraine crisis seriously. These are the sanctions. Because when you think – when you hear, like, a government make sanctions against a country, like, what, is that, what does that mean? That doesn't really affect me immediately in my everyday life. I can't see that because I'm here. But once you – take one of the biggest teams in England and you sanction them and you essentially cease their ability to function, then, you know, that's in the news. Everyone's aware of it. People are talking about it. You know what the government's taking stand against Ukraine. And I think that's what they're trying to do. I think, sure. It's probably a little symbolic, you know, in a sense, considering Abramovich, he's been unethical in terms of his money for a long time. It's just now that the invasion has happened that, you know, they're taking action, which, you know, I'm not – I'm a little – I wouldn't say I'm annoyed because, you know, sure, like, you know, your team going into um, crisis is annoying, but annoying is not the right word. There's bigger things happening right now, you know, in the world that are more important. But no matter what you think of why the U.K. sanctioning them, I think it's just now a matter of a good owner – or a good group of owners coming in and taking over the team. Some of the names that I've seen really don't excite me. Like the Ricketts family, you know, the Cubs, like they've won, they won one world series in 2016 followed up with a couple postseason appearances. Besides that, they've been pretty mediocre for, you know, a long time. And, you know, the Jets owner's name was thrown in there. And again, that's a franchise where I'm like, what does he know about running a team? There's also been the Saudi group, you know, that we've heard thrown in. I really don't know who's going to end up with the winning bit. It seems to me like with what I've seen, the Ricketts family are kind of maybe taking the lead a little bit. But I think Chelsea just have to try and get this crisis sorted out, you know, as soon as possible. Because, you know, with the situation right now, the people, like you mentioned, Keenan, who are hurting are, you know, people who work for the club. You know, this this is really a business with not just Abramovich. There's so many people underneath him you know, from like marketing people to go even further, people in concessions, you go further and further down the line. There's so many employees, people who work in the team store, now they can't sell merchandise. What are they supposed to do? Which I guess when you impose sanctions, it's not supposed to be an easy thing. It's supposed to, you know, actually punish people. But I wonder, is Abramovich really the person being punished right now? Or is it, you know, the people below him who are just trying to make a living? But I think, you know, for Chelsea... It's important for them to get this, you know, transition over and done with as soon as possible because that stands right now. They can't have away fans in Middlesbrough. You know, they just got approved, I think, to fly there for the FA Cup game. But like you mentioned, Keenan said they have a Champions League game in Madrid. You know, how are you going to get there if the ownership, you know, situation is not sorted out? So for Chelsea, it has to be sorted out as quickly as possible. But also you have to make sure that the person buying the club is someone who's genuinely interested in You know, taking the team, not just maintaining the Abramovich level, you know, status, but taking it to the next level as well.
2: Keenan, I think the issue you brought up with the Saudi ownership groups, uh, I think that speaks to a bigger issue about the West turning a blind eye to what goes on in the Middle East in general. And you mentioned Qatar as well as another example of that. But I think Chelsea will be okay in the meantime. It's going to be a struggle. You know, it's a lot of what we're talking about in the Major League Baseball lockout in terms of, well, yeah, the owners are deprived of money, too, by the collective bargaining deal. But the real problem is the fact that a lot of people who work within the club and close to the club are going to be affected by this, Um, you know, marketing, grounds crew, all that, uh, shops around the stadium. Like, these are the things that get affected by these things. Um, And it's not just the people at the top. Roman Abramovich will be fine. He has a pile of cash to sit on. But in the long term, I do think Chelsea will be fine because of what Roman Abramovich has helped to build. The fact that when he took over, he transformed this club into a top six team, into a Champions League winner, into a perennial Champions League team in terms of they're going to qualify every year or they're going to be close to that. That's why they're going to be fine because this is a big ticket item for anybody who has the cash to afford it. As for the Swiss um, consortium that wanted to buy it, I don't know if it's going to be the Ricketts family. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the owner of the Jets because why would anybody be excited about the owner of the Jets buying a team? Like that's not exciting at all. Um, There's the Nick Candy. There's so many different, Ways that this could go, but because it's Chelsea, I'm sure they'll be okay. They're, of course, they're going to get bought um, because of, and this is because of what Roman Abramovich has done. Not a lot of owners get any credit for what they do with their teams because you look at Man City; they get criticized for their owners, despite being successful because of them. Because oh, they just throw their oil money at it. But in the terms of Chelsea, they were actually, for the most part, smart and calculated by it, and that's what Roman Abramovich is doing this team wasn't really much of anything before he came and now look at where they be, what they've become so in the long term not much to worry about for chelsea fans in my opinion
1: yeah and i think you know that's where it kind of gets lost right now is that you know especially in a what i guess now it's over a year but in a 18 month period where revenue has been hurt by you know football owners across you know the globe with co- the pandemic we thought the super league was coming you know chelsea was in talks of that because you know they wanted to get revenue back up to be strapped with these sanctions you know further just hurts the clubs and hurts the ones who work for them i think in the long run though chelsea is going to be fine it's just going to be a tough probably end of the season until the summer I think realistically when the new ownership group is going to like fully take the reins would be my guess. Sure. They might buy it in the upcoming weeks, but I don't think, you know, we'll actually see them do anything besides hold it down in terms of finances until the summer, but yeah, to Abramovich's credit. And I know it's weird praising him, but I think, you know, when you look at him and what he did for Chelsea, he took, I don't want to say a poverty club, but you know, he took a team that was certainly not what it is today. And, you know, through calculated, you know, spending of money, you know, really buying into not only his managers over the years, but also into the talent that's put, in, put on the field. You know, we look at Chelsea since, I want to say, if we want to go back to like when they won the Champions League, you know, and even a little bit before that, they have been a perennial threat in, you know, at least domestically in the Premier League for the better part of 10 years. And even in the Champions League, you know, winning that European Cup all those year, years ago in Byron's backyard as the famous call went. And then, you know, even last year winning it. Chelsea is going to be fine. I have no doubts about that. It's just going to be a tough period until they get bought out just because they're going to be so highly scrutinized. And if you're a fan, you're thinking like, you know, is there any way we can recover from this? And I think it's going to come to be realized that, yeah, you can. We've talked for 50 minutes, boys. I think it's incredibly easy for time to run away from us, and I really don't care because we're on spring break. So if you say you have homework to do, I'm sorry, freshman, but from a junior's perspective at Fordham University, that's a lie. Mm-hmm. I don't do my homework during the weeks. I hope my professors don't listen to this, but <laughs> let's, we're going to shoot for an hour. So we've got 10 more minutes. We're gonna go five to Premier League title race, and then five to preview because next week is probably the biggest week, start of the biggest week of our young lives. So Premier League, really quick. Monday, City drop points, nil-nil draw at Selhurst Park to Crystal Palace. Liverpool played their game in hand yesterday against Arsenal. Much like I think James said, you know, in that first half against. Athletic, that was the best United soccer we've seen all year. That first half against Liverpool was the best Arsenal soccer we've seen. And I got to say, the Premier League's better when Arsenal's good. Because, you know, as a Liverpool fan, I was nervous going into that match because we've seen how well, you know, Arteta has transformed this club into contending. And, you know, that first half, they had Liverpool on the ropes. But Liverpool proved why they're, you know, a perennial threat to win the uh, Premier League and Arsenal, if I'm Arteta at the end of the match, you say you talk to your boys in the dressing room and you say, that's what we need to be for 90 minutes. That's the level we need to have. I think Gabriel Martinelli is a world class talent. He was giving Trent Alexander Arnold fits all game. Liverpool though shaky first half, really shaky second half. And I think what it comes down to is Liverpool's able to capitalize off your mistakes and Arsenal, you know, you think of that Lacazette miss. That he squares to Odegaard. And then Allison makes that big save over the crossbar um, on a terrible Thiago back pass. And then you get a goal from Diego Jata beating uh, Ramsla at his front post, which needs to be saved if you're the Arsenal keeper. And then Roberto Firmino with a deft touch inside the six-yard box to make it 2-0 Liverpool. And that's all they needed. But a really strong showing from Arsenal in my perspective – This club is exceptionally young. And I think, you know, what I really like about this Arsenal side is when Arteta first started there, there was a lot of calls for him to be out as soon as he got in, just because the results weren't going his way. You think back to that Brentford 3 0 loss to start the season. Everyone was like, oh, God, here we go again. Now they've entered into the final race for a top four. I think, you know, they've got a couple matches in hand over United. I think they're going to probably close out top four. I wouldn't be surprised to see them back in the Champions League. A really young side, a lot of upside for this Arsenal team. But, yeah, Liverpool closing the gap on Man City to one point. They meet in two, three, three weeks, excuse me, at the Etihad. Pretty much a game for the title if both teams can win out. Gentlemen, really quick, or take as long as you want, really. I don't care. Thoughts on, you know, City dominant against Crystal Palace. Can't find a goal. It's be- you know, didn't take the chances as they came to them. Guaita played well, but still, it's the city question of do we have a number nine? And then, you know, Liverpool—they're a team that I think can score any which way and are fine scoring ugly, which they did. And you know, they're a team that even if they're worse, they can turn it on in the second half and go take it to a really top side in terms of Arsenal.
2: Uh, Kim, I think you said it all. I mean, City—the glaringly obvious issue is we don't have a striker. We'll dominate games, but some games we won't score because we don't have a striker. I think they should still be able to find goals from elsewhere, and they have done in the past. Uh, do they still lead the Prem in goals scored? No, they're, they're second to Liverpool. But they should be fine in terms of scoring. Uh, it might be an issue um, down the line. But as for Liverpool, not the best of performances, but it's still a 2-0 win. For me, that's a good thing in the sense that even if they get outplayed for stretches of a game, they can still come away with a result. That's the sign of a winning team, especially when you know that they can control most games. That's that's. There's a good thing and a bad thing to take away from that. As for Arsenal, um, from the neutrals perspective, they must be such a fun team to watch or maybe even become a fan of because they have such young talent that's going to stick around for a long time, hopefully for them. Uh, but like Ma- Martinelli, Saka, uh, Smith-Rowe, Odegaard, like that's a core you want to be able to build around. Nick, you mentioned Manchester United doesn't really have that. Well, Arsenal definitely has that. Um that first half of Arsenal was spectacular. Martinelli looked amazing. Um I don't I don't know where they're going to go from here. I do think they're going to close out the top 4. It's not going to be comfortable. It's not going to be easy. United are going to be on their heel- heels. Um but as for Liverpool, another exciting thing is that they were able to get a goal off the bench from Firmino, who definitely isn't a bench player by any uh, stretch, but in matches where you can now rotate that front 3 with five different players, knowing that coming off the bench, whether it's Diaz or Jota or even Firmino coming off the bench, that you could still get goal support, that's huge, especially going forward when you've got this big, these big matches in three weeks against City where your front three is going to be working tirelessly and maybe it could be a fruitless effort where you can bring on Diaz, you can bring on Jota, and they can provide goals for you.
0: Yeah, starting with that City game, it just baffled me a little bit the way Pep approached it. He made no subs, and I was watching that game. I thought it was calling out for someone like Ilkay Gundogan. That's, like, the kind of game where he, you know, a pa- passes cut back to him from the goal line, and he taps it in from, like, the penalty spot. That's what this game was calling out for. And when a team like Palace are in a low block, and you're trying to break it down, to not make any subs or change up your look at all and just stick with the 11 guys you, you started out with, it was a little baffling to me. City had their chances, but, you know, like we've mentioned, just no clinical striker to take them. Bernardo Silva had a great chance and just couldn't score. You know, De Bruyne hit the post. Ken Cancelo hit the post with a long shot in the first half. The chances were that they just just couldn't take them. And it's such a massive result because now Liverpool, as we've mentioned, just one point behind City. And they play in a little bit in a couple weeks. But in terms of that Arsenal game, I think the first half was very impressive, but I don't think it was – maybe as impressive as some people are making out to be. Um, They played a good half against a Liverpool team that have have ran them off the park previously. So it's a a big improvement. And I guess, you know, taking into account how they've played recently, you know, carrying the form into that first half is a good thing. Definitely for Ramsdale, I think that first goal is he's got to save his near post because that's the only place where Jota can place that ball after he's been slipped through by Thiago. But I think... It's very obvious the building blocks are there for Arsenal. Top four has got to be the goal for this year. Anything less is disappointing. But they're definitely on an upward trajectory. In terms of Liverpool, um, that's a game – that's a title-winning game, in my opinion, in the, in the sense that you're not playing at your best in the first half. You, you turn it on in the second half, you get two goals. You survive the, the Arsenal wave in the first half, and you win in the end by a comfortable 2 0 That's the kind of game you need to win to win titles. You know, against the top six – or the big six, well, I guess Arsenal now, top six, on the road. And you're just setting yourself up. You know, at this point, the title race is in Liverpool's hands. You know, if they win win out the rest of their games, they're going to be champions. So, you know, it's really – this run they've been on is incredible, under Klopp. Now they've got Diaz, which is, I think, going to go down as one of the best signings, you know, of the season, of really recent history for Liverpool. Because it just gives your, your offensive – you know, look so much more depth. But I'm really looking forward to that that City Liverpool game in a couple of weeks. And I'm just glad we have a title race after a couple of years of that one.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, yes, it's still in City's hands because if City wins out, you know, or even draws against Liverpool, they'll be they can still push the needle and win be champions by one point. I think the biggest thing that this draw to Crystal Palace is is that now city has to be perfect in a season where they you know have stumbled quite a bit and you know i think from a liverpool perspective james you hit the nail right on the head biggest thing that i was impressed by is you know if you look at the team that won the champions league and if you look at the team that won the premier league a few years back for liverpool the depth that they have going forward coming off the bench this season is 10 times what it was in those seasons you know yes you had guys like Origi and shakuri coming off the bench You know, now in the MLS, MLS bump, Chicago Fire bump. They're undefeated on the year, not a big deal. Um, But you have guys like Firmino coming off the bench. We saw Salah, who has a bit of a foot injury coming off the bench, you know. Or you can roll a guy like Diaz, Jota, or, you know. And especially in that midfield, too, that midfield's 10 times more stout than it was when they won the league. You know, guys like Naby Keita and Thiago have to fight to get in that first side know probably would start in a majority of other clubs that game against city is what it's all going to come down to i think for both teams though you can't take your eyes off of the premier league because we saw it this week with you know you know with city at a team like palace a uh, patrick vrsi that has done i don't want to say wonders but has been really really solid throughout this um throughout this premier league campaign in his first year in charge so you know as you look ahead to the upcoming match days, yes, City's got a struggling Burnley team, but we've seen Burnley put in, you know, performances with this regime that they have that, you know, won't make it easy for a team like City, and City's going to have to compete. Liverpool, you know, before they face before they face um, City, they have to play Watford, and, you know, you can think back to when Liverpool was having a look at an undefeated run, you know, the unbeatables run. To go win the Premier League, they stumbled at Watford. So both teams have one more Premier League match before they meet each other. They just need to win out, and then that game, April 10th. I'm going to be in Spain during that time, self, and I might be at the Bernabeu, but you better believe I'm wearing my Liverpool red kit because I don't care, and I'll watch it on my phone. I don't, I don't really care. But before we conclude, boys, this has been a long one. I don't mind. I'm sure you don't. Next week is going to be equally as long because a week from today, Stars and Stripes, L3, Part 2, all to play for in CONCACAF qualifying. I'm so nervous. I don't know what to say. It just hurts thinking about it. Standings right now. Canada lead the way at 25 points u.s and mexico tied at 21 panama bringing it up in fourth at 17 and then costa rica still kind of in it at 16 first three get automatic qualification into the world cup fourth goes to the play-in tournament united states i mean gentlemen as much as you know we can make as much as we'd love to make it a song and dance You got to beat Mexico. You beat Mexico, you can pretty much stamp your ticket. But if you don't beat Mexico, you got to play Canada – I mean, you got to play Panama, excuse me, and Costa Rica, two teams that are on the outs right now looking to get in. It's going to be a sweaty, sweaty week for us starting next Thursday. We're going to break it down on our next week's show, hopefully the same trio. I'm ready to dedicate an hour to it because it's just going to be that kind of week for us. We get the roster announced. At tonight, I think at six p.m. Six p.m. Yep. So that'll be interesting to see who comes and who doesn't. My biggest thing is I hate Greg Berhalter. Probably as <laughs> much as I hate everything in my life. If he makes boneheaded decisions, I know we know no Weston McKinney will be in the lineup for you know he's not going to be there for the United States men's national team. If he, if I see more than like six MLS players on this roster. I don't know what I'm gonna do. Like six MLS players, like that have legitimate chances of playing time. I'm gonna be just so so absurdly upset with Greg Berhalter. And I know I love the MLS, but like if I see Jossie Zardes or Jordan Morris on this, I'm gonna jump because you're gonna I be absurdly I upset. I, I if
2: if I may. Because I know that those players are probably going to be in the squad, you know Zardis is going to be there. You know Morris, is, Morris looked kind of good for Seattle to start the year coming back from injury, so he'll probably be there. LeJet started well for the Revolution, so he'll probably be there, especially since McKinney isn't. But the biggest issue I take with this squad is who is going to start in goal. Now, Keenan, I know you're the NYCFC beat reporter, but if Sean Johnson is starting in goal no, for the no U.S. Johnson. National no,
1: Sean Johnson. I rule it out.
2: I, I, I might not watch the game. Ethan Horvath has to be in goal. And even St- is Stefan is, is – He returned he, to the bench. He returned to the, he bench. Returned to the bench. So, yes. he might not be ready to start. But we know – Horvath has done it against Mexico before. He can do it again. Not Sean Johnson. I don't want him anywhere near the starting 11.
0: We're so lucky that Horvath has kind of come into form. At this, at this time. Because he was riding the bench for the entire year. And well, the
2: he, he did it against Mexico off the bench. Not played for like an entire season. So, yeah. he, if he's in form, who knows how good he can be. It's, we're going to get Neuer for all we know. For all we know, he could. <laughs> yeah. yeah it so could happen.
1: If it's Sean Johnson. And it has to be
2: Luca De La Torre in the middle, too. Sorry. But keep, keep going,
1: Keenan. We'll say, save this for next week. Yeah, before we conclude, if it's Sean Johnson, I'm going to freak. If it's Jossie Zardes or Jordan Morris, if it's any of those three players, those guys who probably had their best chance of, you know, making a name for themselves in the World Cup that they didn't qualify for in 2018, if any of those three guys start any of these matches, unless it's a throwaway game against Costa Rica in the third, my blood pressure's already rising talking about this.
0: Which I can't is, mentally handle if we don't qualify. Uh, I, won't, I, like, I can't do it. Like, I, I can't do happening. it again.
2: And, and just, just to end it on a super anxious note, if we don't sort it out in the Mexico game or the subsequent Panama game, and we have to get a result going to Costa Rica, we have never won there before. Do you know,
0: Uh-oh.
2: I did say this men's match. The team has never won a game in Costa two matches. Figure it out against Panama, who we beat 4-0 in Orlando four years ago.
1: What a fun episode this was, gentlemen. We're a week away until kickoff for the U.S. men's national team. FA Cup this weekend for the English sides. Big Champions League draw tomorrow on Friday. Figure out how it's going to stack up for the quarters and the subsequent semis. U.S. men's national team roster getting announced tonight. I know I'll be texting you guys about it. We'll break it down. And I will say this, gentlemen. I don't know if I'm allowed to advertise this on the podcast, but I'm going to, we got to watch one of these games together. I think, you know, as we look, I think at, so. As we look at this schedule, you know, For sure. I would be fine with that Panama game on a Sunday. I'd be fine with that Mexico game on a Thursday. As Nick said it best. My mind cannot comprehend what is going to happen if we fail to qualify. But that's next week's obstacle. For Nick Guzman, James Burley, I'm Keenan Troy saying, you know, just say a prayer because the next, the next 14 days are just going to be an absolute pretzel on all of our minds, hearts, souls, and every other thing that comes with us when we talk U.S. men's national team. Champions League, Premier League, all heating up. But we're really concerned about Qatar on this podcast. Take care, everyone.